Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine with insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, helping you improve your game from tee to green. Good morning, welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Epson, LPGA and Legends Tour, and so many others helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and once again, welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside is none other than Legends Tour player and LPGA professional, Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts here uh, on the Women of Golf Show. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning. How are you? I'm I'm doing very well. We're uh, getting a little bit of rain over the next few days, which I'm happy for. Um, we need it. It's been kind of crispy down here. Uh, and plus, they've I don't know if you've seen it. They probably don't broadcast it up there, but we've had a uh, in my neck of the woods. They've had a wildfire that uh, started uh, I think about a week ago uh, over in Panama City, and it spread to I think close to uh, somebody said the other day 10,000 acres has burned. So that's very unusual for us down here in the, the sunny south. That hasn't happened in many, many years, so we need this rain to help uh, stomp it out. But anyways, uh, other than that, I'm doing wow. fantastic. We've got a great show. For, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, uh, fortunately, I'm about 20 miles away from where that's happening, so hopefully it won't be uh, blowing my way. And, and, um, but uh, it's in a fairly rural area, so I think uh, for the most part it's, it's not, uh, other than some woods, it's not doing too much. I think there have been a few small homes and that that have certainly been caught up in it. But um, but anyways, um, I think the rain over the next few days is going to help uh, the uh, firefighters and whatnot and uh, first responders deal with it. So we'll be praying for them. All right, we've got a great show for everybody this morning. We're going to be joined here in just a, a second or two by uh, Frida Schinholt. She is an Epson Tour player and the runner-up at this past week's 2022 Florida Natural Charity Classic. And then a little bit later on in the broadcast, we're going to be joined by LPJ professional uh, Kelly Brook is going to be joining us on the second half. So uh, let me, Cindy, first uh, just tell everybody, remind everybody uh, about our first guest. Uh, she was born in Sweden. Uh, she was a two-time winner of the Spanish Ladies Amateur Championship and spent seven weeks as number one in the World Amateur Golf Rankings. And she was a member of the victorious Team Europe uh, for the 2019 Vagliano Trophy. Uh, she was also a three-time medalist in her year and a half at Florida State University, and she was the winner of the then Symmetra Tour Championship back in 2020. So she's been on the show before, Cindy. So please, uh, let's welcome our uh, first guest this morning, Frida Schinholt. Good morning. Thank you. Morning. So Frida, welcome um, back, I guess uh, is the best way to put it. Um, Cindy, do you want to go first thank or do you want you, me to? You. <laughs> You go right ahead. All right. So let me ask you something. As I mentioned, you finished runner-up, and we were talking a little bit off-air uh, just before we went live. 
And you know, I, I alluded to the fact that you were you were knocking uh, fiercely on the door, if you will, uh, for this weekend's the past weekend's tournament, um, but didn't quite didn't quite get into the winner's circle. But uh, you got to be pretty happy though, uh, finishing uh, strong on, on uh, uh, the 2022 start. Tell us how you feel. Yeah, overall. no, it was a, obviously I, it was great. It's um, it's always disappointing finish finish one short of it, but. At the same time, there's a lot of positive things to bring uh, into the next few events coming up and um, good motivation to keep working the way I'm working because it seems like something is um, trending in the right direction. So, um, no, a good start to the year, and um, hopefully we'll we'll keep on working on this from here. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, number two is not a bad. I mean, I know obviously you want to get in that, that winner circle, as I said, but I think number two – uh, lets you know that you're, you're a strong enough player that you're, you're going to get there, uh, I think, very quickly this year. And that's a great way, as I said, to start the season. So as you look back, as you reflect back over this last uh, few days uh, of the tournament, what do you think of were your strengths? What helped you get to where you did go? Uh, and where do you think you lost a few strokes that maybe might have made the difference? Where throughout the tournament do you think you lost a few strokes? So what were your strengths? Where did you lose from? Um, yeah, no, I think my strength throughout the week, it was very windy down there in Winter Haven, uh, playing right by the lake, and the wind hit us pretty bad. So it was tough, but um, I had pretty good ball striking last week, so I think that was – I gained a little on the field with that, you know, still controlling the ball, even though uh, pretty heavy winds. But um, and then I think just putting was tough because the greens were very, very fast and firm. And with a lot of wind on that, it gets it gets pretty tough to get the right lines with the wind and stuff. But um, And the second round, I had a little bit of a roller coaster. I think I played seven holes level par with one par. Uh, <laughs> so mm. um, I hit two water hazards on the last round. One, though, on the last hole where I just tried to go for it on the par five. I had nothing to lose, really. I was too short going into the last. So I, I figured I needed a little three on the par five. So, um, But I managed to save par, so it was all right. And then um, other than that, I just I feel like it could have been a few more putts that could have dropped and a few more approach, approach shots that could have been a little closer. So... It's just some small things throughout three rounds, but I feel like I have more to give out there, so I'm super pumped and excited for for the next chance in two weeks. So obviously your your ball striking and getting yourself in position wasn't really so much of an issue this this tournament. It was really a few putts here and there that was the difference, in your opinion, you think? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple small things, you know, on uh, 12... Uh, on Sunday, I hit a water hazard on part three and made a five. Mm-hmm. So that double bogey is obviously a disappointing one where you can hit the middle of the green and hopefully two putt for a par. But, um, you know, at the same time, I try to be aggressive and I miss that shot. And I think overall I played very aggressive. And um, I think that gives me maybe an extra bogey or a double bogey, but it gives me a couple more birdies and at least a couple more birdie mm-hmm. opportunities. So I like that aggressive strategy because yeah i might lose a shot here and there but i think i'll gain more on the other hand with birdies so overall Mm -hmm. it will give me a lower score yeah i I couldn't agree i think if if you're if you're going to be an aggressive player obviously if it pays off more 
often than it doesn't, then that's a good strategy. If it has the opposite effect where it's, it's hampering your abilities to move forward, then that's maybe where you might have to dial it back a little bit. But interesting, interesting strategy. <laughs> uh, Cindy, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Cindy, go ahead. What's the best part of your game? Um, I'd say usually ball striking in general. Um, I grew up on a super short but very tricky course on a small island with a lot of like narrow fairways. And I think if I play there now, I might hit three drives in 18 holes because it's, you know, a couple holes where you just hit irons because it's just so tight between uh, mountains and stuff like that. So I've always uh, has had to hit very straight uh, to not lose my ball. So uh, I think it's been great growing up like that. And um, so ball shrinking would be my strength, I'd say. And then uh, my scores mostly depend on my potting, if it's a good potting day or not. But um, I'm working – last year my potting was my weakest point, so I've been working really hard this off season with my potting. And I hope that will – um, show some good results this year, and I'll I'll keep working on it uh, towards the future. What are you doing when you work on your putting? Do you do drills? Do you practice stroke shape, distance control? What are you doing? Um, I do a little bit of everything. I try to do most drills with target focus, so I have like kind of like the course, uh, like one pot, one chance from one place, and then you change the distance you change the break um, and everything just to be more more like when you're on the course and not hit like 10 putts from the same place because it's not about repetition out there it's more about learning uh, to take care of your one chance so and I actually have a project this year with my potting coach and we're trying to hit 10,000 putts uh, within 15 different drills and I think I'm at 3,000 something this far this year so uh, we're grinding it out and putting the hours in on the potting green for sure. That's great, Ted. Well, I think I'm I'm hitting that same number, but it's per round. So I think I need to, <laughs> I need to get in, in touch with your putting coach. Um, so let me ask you something. So yeah, uh, every everybody, you know, I think really just in hindsight though, I, I think really for uh, you know, kidding aside, I think for every player, I think putting is really. I mean, obviously for for you. Uh, Frida, to get where you are right now in your career, um, you've got to be a good ball striker. If you're not hitting the ball solid and, and putting it in position, you're not going to be on the tour where you are now. Um, so really, it, it boils down to, obviously, your short game overall is, is where you're going to score, but particularly putting. I mean, you can lose a lot of strokes, as you said. You know, if you're two, three putting all the time and you're not, uh, you know, um, getting those pars or, or some birdies to, to help get your numbers down, um, you know, that can really obviously hamper uh, your, your season. So I want to, speaking of seasons, uh, I, I imagine a lot of you are real excited. Uh, the Seiko Epson Corporation, of course, came in this season as the title sponsor, and it brought a lot of changes to the tour this season, um, including bigger purses and also lowering uh, the entry, fee, uh, entry fees. So does that give you, and, and obviously the others, I'm sure you've had a chance to talk with some of your fellow professionals. Does that give you guys a little bit of breathing room? Obviously, the big purses, uh, increased purses are obviously a, a big plus, but the entry fees as well, does that help you guys a little bit throughout the season to keep some of those expenses down? 
Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's always good to cut on the expenses and having bigger purses. Uh, <laughs> easy, quick math, but no, it's great. What I, like all the things that Epson have done so far. I mean, we just played one event, but with um, all the announcements, it's everything is super great for the tour. And um, I think, I mean, all the purses have been hired up, and mm-hmm. we've got the highest one so far in uh, the Epson tour. Like history and later on this summer so um it's just a great like a lot of positive things and again like it is uh like (laughs) you gotta play good to keep that economy running and uh it's obviously Mm -hmm. great to them cut down on the expenses and have more more uh, prize money to play for so it's it's surely a great combination yeah they've really stepped up and and i know um that they're extremely excited about coming on board uh, with uh, working with the tour and, and taking it over as, as the title sponsor. And I, I can imagine it's going to be a great first season. They're here, I think, for five seasons. But um, I know that uh, talking with a, f- a few uh, others involved with the tour, that they're really, really excited about this new relationship. So obviously it's a, a win-win for everybody, a win for them, and a win for all of you out there as well. So let me ask you, What's the hardest part for you um, playing on tour? Obviously, you, you want to win, and you've got to get out there and grind it out every week and whatnot, but what's, what's the hardest thing for you sometimes? Is it the traveling? Is it just the, um, you know, just the, the constant grind? What, what are some of the struggles that you have week in, week out? Oh, it's, uh, it's surely a different lifestyle. Uh, one thing that I've found hard is, to keep practicing on tournament weeks like it's easy to warm up player practice round and maybe take like five hours and then you have a like a five-hour pro-am and you're like tired and feel like you have to rest but yeah like in the back of your mind you also know that you have to keep like working and keep practicing and um, keep grinding to reach your long-term goals within the practice areas and Sometimes if you have like two, four, maybe five weeks on the road, uh, it's hard to, um, it's like, it's easy to get out of practice and just do the playing part and like tournament round and try to get rested and poem and then um, get the workout and go to the gym. Like I wish that mm-hmm. one day could have been like 40 hours sometimes and that I had energy for 30 of <laughs> but <laughs> it's right. not. So sometimes that's what I've found difficult to like, keep uh, to keep yeah grinding and work out during tournament weeks yeah it, it's got to be tough because when especially when you've got several weeks strung together i know i know they've done i think over the last several years they've they've done a good job in trying to spread things out in such a way that you have a bit of a break i know there was one season i think it was about four maybe five seasons ago where they actually had i think seven events in a row uh which i know we had a few of the players on a few of the winners on at that time and they all kind of said, you know, wow, we need we need a break. And I think that was the last time they did that. And the next year they, they kind of broke it up. So, I mean, I think now you may have three events in a row and then a break, you know, at the most type of thing, which is good, maybe four. but um, And that that's a little easier to handle. But seven or, or even eight uh, is, I think, a little bit uh, too much. And that. What are you doing in your downtime? Yeah, it, exactly. It, it wears on you. I mean, you're... Yeah, what what do you do on your downtime when you, when you do have some downtime and and you're not out there grinding it out in the golf course? What do you like to do for fun? 
I am working on it. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm that person who have a hard time sitting still from time to time, but I've started to do a lot of uh, painting and I draw and like mindfulness paintings where I just just get rid of every thought on my mind and just focus on like small things. And uh, I do small, like bracelets where the pearls are like super small. So I need like a needle and stuff. So like all my focus goes to d- these things um, just to try to get rid of every thought of golf or, you know, practice and stuff like that. So that's been great for me. It's a good, good way of doing mindfulness for me. Yeah, you got to have a you have to have a distraction every once in a while. I think if you're just golf, 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 golf all the time. As much as I know you love to play and and love to compete, um, you really have to sort of have something else to distract your your uh, your mind away from that, and just to just to let you sort of decompress. Um, Cindy, go ahead. Do you stay in private housing or hotels or Airbnbs? Where do you stay? Um, it's- it's a little different from week to week, I'd say. Maybe housing half the time, uh, which is super great. Like, families are always super nice and super supportive. And I think after Sunday, I maybe had, like, four or five host families that I had last year reach out to me. So they're still, like, supporting and following at even the tournaments where I'm not at their place. So that's really great. And then um, I maybe the... On the other half, it's maybe be half hotels and half Airbnbs. I try to get together with friends sometimes in Airbnbs, and then we can cook dinners ourselves and just hang out and have a good time. So um, usually, yeah, I'd say most most of it is host families, and then host, uh, I mean hotels and uh, Airbnbs are maybe fifty fifty on the other half. What's the best part playing on the shore? Uh, I mean, to be able to play golf at your work is crazy. Um, to do something that you love and like and to be able to improve every day and just um, be able to do whatever you live for as a living, it's it's crazy. And, it's, yeah, I love it. What would you tell a young girl who just started playing the last year or two who really loves golf and has a lot of potential, what would you tell them? Oh, um, just have fun. And, um, I mean, at an early age, don't take it, like, too serious and be just have fun with friends and enjoy your time out there because I don't think we should do something where we're pushed into doing it. I think it's more important to have fun and, um, enjoy the process and I mean don't be too disappointed of, from like one bad result it's just a bump in the road and um, a good opportunity to learn from something so um, yeah try to learn from everything awesome Ted so Freya let me ask you uh, sort of the opposite uh, to that question and if you weren't uh, doing what you do playing at a professional level this game uh, that obviously you love so much. What would you be doing if you weren't playing golf? What do you think you'd like to do? Oh, I've been thinking about this. It would probably be something within golf still. Um, I love coaching and I love help other people, <clears throat> like with whatever to grow or if I can help anyone in any other way. So 
uh, lately, I'm also very organized with everything, and I like to have, like, plans for everything. So I think, like, the manager uh, of the golfer would be something that fit me very well as well, like take care of someone, all the travel and booking and uh, paperwork and, um, yeah, just to help someone out. I always, like, if I feel like I can help someone, it brings me to happy mode. Like, if I feel like I help someone, I get happy from that, so... Uh, but something within golf, probably, I'd say, it would be. Hmm. That's interesting. So you might might aspire as as time goes on, and and uh, there maybe comes a point where things wind down a little bit with your play. You may consider going to the other side of uh, golf profession, maybe becoming a, a teacher professional or a golf coach. Is that? Uh, am I hearing you right? Yeah, and I, I grew up. My dad is a head pro and like always been teaching so I've always seen that very closely and um, I've always had that managing side as well like close to me so it's something that's been like inspiring me and that I've seen very closely to how I grew up so uh, those are two things that motivate me so and anytime I can help someone else it it, it gives like I'm in a happy mode if I can help <laughs> Now, you have a brother, too, Marcus, who is a European tour member. Is he still part of the tour? Um, and did you guys play a lot together growing up uh, competitively? Obviously not necessarily in tournaments, but um, did you sort of battle it out together on the golf course and challenge one another? How did, you, how did that work? Did your dad kind of get you both out there and say, okay, um, you know, Marcus and Frida, let's, let's see what you can do? It's... Uh... <laughs> We're too, well, the whole family is very competitive, so we get everything a competition, whether it was uh, who can stand in the coolest shower for longest or if it's a shipping contest. It's, everything's just been a competition growing up. But, no, surely we, we were uh, grinding it out together growing up. The last maybe five, six years, we haven't really been on the same place on the earth. Right. So it's been tough. Right. But, uh, before that, growing up, we always helped each other and practiced out on the golf course. But we were a pretty uh, big group of golfers out there. It was not just me and him, but um, we had at one point, I think we had seven players within different national teams from my home course. Wow. So always been surrounded by a lot of good golfers, which has been huge for both of us. Um, always had someone on the golf in a little bit better, so you want to chase and uh, – become as good as that person i think that's a big part of um how we got to where we are today uh to not like always have something to become better because another person was was better than yourself so uh, i think that was good for both of us and we had just a big group out there of junior golfers that always were you know doing uh chipping contests and on the range and putting and playing so that was that was a good good way to get it done at at the junior golf level. Now, is he a big brother? He's a big brother, yes. Okay, so um, I'm assuming he then obviously got out on the European tour probably a little before you started playing professionally yourself. Um, What advice, if any, did he give you? What did he say? Did he say, Frida, you know, here's what I would recommend you do or how I would approach it. Did he give you any sort of advice uh, as you were beginning your professional career? I mean, nothing really, like, 
crazy, crazy, but I've always learned from his way and how he has been approaching tour life and how, like, you know, a missed cut isn't the whole world. Like, you can always learn from that mm-hmm. and um, how you have to take care of resting and your body as well. Like, your body is a huge part of it. And uh, But also, like, personal life is important. Like, uh, that will often reflect your scores like if you're in a good mood it's easier to play good and uh, but no we're we're always like learning and helping each other and there for each other and um, try to take it not too serious like we're chit-chatting and we're when we're talking like sometimes I've talked to him and then after the call my mom is like oh how was she how was he doing and I'm like I don't know because we didn't talk that serious we're just talking about <laughs> random things and I'm like I guess he's doing good but I didn't really ask so we have a pretty uh, fun relationship to each other where we we like to talk about just random things and have a lot of fun so sometimes the conversation's not always about golf it's sometimes just having some fun like typical brother sister relationships do and and uh you know playing a little bit on the phone or what have you because obviously he's over there and you're over here um so that's good too I mean sometimes you know it, it's good that you kind of get an idea of how he's doing and he, he you, but uh, at the same time, you got to, your family and you just got to sometimes just talk about family things and, and whatnot. That's fantastic. I'm glad that you have that relationship with your brother. Um, what are your goals? What are your short-term goals this season? What's your overall goal? So this year I have conditional status on the LPGA. It's pretty good. Like hopefully I'll get almost a full season out there. Um, I qualified through Q-Series last year, so um, I played one event earlier in Florida, and um, I've got, I'm currently in four of the next five events. So um, my goal would be to stay on the top 80 on the LPJ to get myself into a good, uh, like a full status next year. Um, and uh, one goal this year is, to win an event, uh, so obviously <laughs> ended up short on that right. last week. But we got we got plenty of more uh, opportunities coming up. So um, and then I have a lot of like smaller goals with like you know stats and all of that stuff. But my mm-hmm. main goals would be to get myself a good full category on the LPJ next year and to win one of them. Very good. So you're off this week. You mentioned to me off air. Uh, you're off this week. Uh, you're still in Florida right now, and then you head to Arizona next week for another Epson Tour event. What's the event next week? Yeah, we play in uh, Phoenix. In uh, yeah, starting next Thursday, it's the um, uh, Carly Arizona Women's Golf Classic, uh, and then uh, yeah, four-day event, which is fun on the Epson Tour. They don't have too many of these, so. That's going to be fun. Um, I've played that course two times before, I think, in tournament golf. And I'm also the Swedish national team have an apartment out there. So we have had, like, three camps out there. Uh, so I've spent some time mm-hmm. on that course. I'm super excited to come back. And uh, the week after, I am playing an LPGA event. So that's going to be fun. That's what, what's up next for me. Well, good. Um, well, good luck next week. And and uh, the week after. So what are you going to do this week while you're off? Are you just going to rest a little bit, or are you going to get out there and, and work on your putting and, and other things? What What's going to happen this week? 
yeah, no, it's it's back to the grind. Um, keep on working, keep on trying to get better. Uh, uh, I have my my boyfriend here. He plays on corn ferry as well, so uh, another mm-hmm. com- competitive person. <laughs> so I guess we'll play a couple of matches out there for you know he takes care of dinner and dishes and all that stuff. So um, I better better get back to work and keep grinding to get ready for these matches. That's right. Well, Frida, good luck. Um, next week and the week after and, and moving forward and, and uh, hopefully you'll um, win another event this, this season and uh, come back and join Cindy and I again on a future show but we appreciate you spending time this morning uh, good luck as I say the next couple of weeks and um, enjoy this week hopefully it won't rain too much where you are and you'll get a chance to get out and play some golf yeah perfect thank you I appreciate it and thanks for having me it's good to be here good and luck. I hope to be back because it's always a good reason <laughs> All right. All right. Have a good one, Frida. All right. That was Frida Schinholt, uh, Epson Tour player and runner-up this past week's Florida Natural Charity Classic. Uh, Going to get out there, Cindy, and, and grind it out uh, next week in uh, Arizona and then moves on. I believe she said the LPJ event is in Carlsbad, California, so she'll be out there uh, playing in her first LPJ event of the season. So um, really interesting young ladies. Obviously got it together and... and um, believes in some hard work and i think she uh she sounds a little bit like cindy miller uh she's got the coaching bug in her too i think what do you think i think maybe but i don't think she's going to need to do that for quite a while because i think she's going to make a lot of money and win a lot of tournaments i think so too i think she's got the i think she's still got the competitive juices in her and uh i think she's going to do a fantastic job all right, let me introduce our next guest, and I see she's ready, and we'll bring her out. And, uh, Cindy, I'll let you start things off. Uh, Kelly uh, Brooke is an LPJ golf professional. She was the 2018 uh, Professional of the Year. Uh, she's also the owner and director of instruction of the Golf Channel Academy with Kelly Brooke, uh, with two locations in the New York metropolitan area, uh, Long Island's Bethpage Black uh, Golf Club and in Brooklyn. Uh, she's also the president and founder of the Bethpage Golf Group. Uh, she was also a protege of Butch Harmon as well as Craig Bunker at the uh, John Jacobs Golf Schools. Uh, she spent the last 35-plus years in the golf industry as a player, teach professional, and golf facility owner. So, Cindy, let's uh, welcome our very special guest, LBJ golf professional Kelly Brook. Good morning. Hi, Cindy. How are you, too? Thanks for having me. Good. Thanks for being here. Are you in Florida or are you in New York? I'm in Delray Beach, Florida. It's a sunny day down here. It's going to be about 85. I'm going to play today. Life can't get much better. (laughs) What a brat. What a brat. (laughs) So, Ted, Ted, you think that I'm whacked and spin plates? This girl might might beat me. I know. I I agree. Yeah. Go ahead, Cindy. Well, what am I up to now? So many things, Cindy. We, um, you know, you and I and a, and a bunch of our friends started uh, a new project recently called Birdie Spot, and it's an app that you can go on and you can um, see. We have 500. We have 78 hours worth of instruction on this site, but you can also see uh, go on and you can have guided practices live. Um, if you download the app, you can. Speak with a, a golf professional and take a, a live lesson. You can watch a clinic. 
um, live. You can do all kinds of fun stuff on this this website and app. But and it's going very well. We have a tremendous amount of subscribers. We just launched it a couple months ago, and it's going great. That's awesome, Ted. So Kelly, let me ask you. Um, I want to just go back a little bit to something that you know I mentioned in the opening uh, credits here. Um, you worked obviously with uh, Butch Harmon and, and Craig Bunker, um, just to name a few, and obviously developed some of your skills um, from working with them. What do you take away? What's your takeaway from that experience that you feel has helped you do what you're doing now? Well, you know, I mean, this is back in the late 80s. Um, well, the bunkers uh, had me when I was, you know, growing up, when I was just a, a young golfer, not even a teenager yet. Um, and, you know, they really understood the fundamentals of, of the swing. And then when I went to Butch um, a little later on, he really was groundbreaking with ground groundbreaking with ground force. He was a pioneer with uh, the theory of using your legs and ground force. And that was again, back in the late 80s, early 90s. So um, I found that to be very influential in my career and, and using the legs and, and the ground to build power. And then recently I've been working with Mike Adams. I think most listeners know who Mike Adams mm-hmm. is. And just when you think I've given, you know, I gave him 40,000 lessons in my life. And just when you think you know it all, you realize that you don't know anything. So I'm back to square one because Mike has um, – you know, incredible theories and methodology with, with you know, taking your body and your arm length and your torso length and, the, you know, the way your arms naturally fold on the backswing and working with the individual um, and, and based on their needs and their body types. So I'm, I feel like right now I'm relearning how to teach all over again. What do you think, Kelly, you know, obviously – I mean, that's an incredible milestone. You know, 40,000-plus uh, lessons is just an, an incredible feat. What do you think, and I know that everybody's different, but generally, what do you think most amateur golfers that you have worked with over the years, when you look back and some of the many uh, men and women I'm sure that you've worked with, what is it that you feel that they have the most difficult time understanding? I think they have the most difficult time understanding that the the power doesn't come from your upper body, um, and mm-hmm. it comes from using the ground efficiently, and, and the chain reaction that happens really literally from the ground up through the end of the club head. Uh, you know, most golfers swing too hard with their upper body. It creates it's created a, a nation, a world full of slicers, and just to get them mm-hmm. to to maybe step back a little bit, um, you know, take take down their swing speed just a, a couple notches. And I'm not saying don't swing hard, just swing efficiently hard um, and getting them to stop using their upper body. I, I would say that predominantly, and I think Cindy would agree with that, is the number one issue with amateur golfers today. Cindy had mentioned a few moments ago, um, we sort of have a running joke here on the show. You know, she's always talking about spinning plate. She's got so many things going uh, at once, and obviously she said that I uh, think you might actually beat her out. Um, do you enjoy being really busy like that? Do you, like, if, if in other words, if you had too much free time on your hands, it would it would wear on you. Do you have to be constantly 
doing things, involved in things and that? Is that just in your nature? It is. It always has been. I don't know what I'm running from exactly, but I'm running from something (laughs) um, because I really need to stay busy constantly. Um, You know, I get bored very easily. I mean, I I literally run um, and own the operation at Bethpage Black, which has five golf courses, 250 rounds a year. We have a robust instructional program on top of that. And, you know, for whatever reason, that's not enough for me. So we started the the uh, the website, and I owned a restaurant at one point, and it just feels like if I don't have a million things going on, I have nothing going on. Right. Yeah, it kind of sounds a lot like Cindy. So I mentioned you that you're the president and founder of Beth Page Golf Group. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Best Page Golf Group is uh, the company that I own, and we operate Best Page. So basically anything outside of tee times, golf-related, I run and, and own. It's a concession, and it was put out to bid uh, state property about uh, four years ago. And what happens is when you, they put these things out, these RFPs, requests for proposals, it, usually there are five components to it. You have to prove that you have operational experience, prove that you have an operational plan in place uh, with new ideas and new, you know, new energy. Um, you have to prove that you have um, the capital to pull off what you want to pull off and a capital mm-hmm. improvement plan, meaning what, what different, um, are you going to build new buildings? Are you going to redo the range? Are you going to uh, restore the pro shop? These kinds of things. And then, of course, fee offer. Um, fee offer really isn't uh, the most important thing. Everyone generally offers the same thing. It's really the the other four components that matter. So when I do this, I um, you know spend months usually writing a proposal, and it's usually a couple inches thick. And you know this time around, I ended up winning it, and I beat the PGA Tour, which was very exciting. So what it, what it means at wow. the end of the day is that I own the pro shop, I own the cart operation, I own the instruction, I own the uh, caddy operation. I own the range operation, and so it's a pretty, pretty big deal. I think I'm the only woman in the world that's running, uh, you know, a, a site like this that where the Ryder Cup's coming in 25. We had the PGA Championship. We've had two U.S. Opens. It's extremely exciting. Wow, um, Cindy, I think she might have you beat. I think there might be a few extra plates uh, spinning above uh, <laughs> Kelly's head, so I think she might have you beat. Cindy, go ahead. How do you find the right people to work for you so that you can play golf in Florida today? (laughs) Well, I've been very, very lucky because I've owned numerous uh, facilities throughout Manhattan and Queens and Brooklyn. And it it was always a rough road because, you know, it's seasonal in New York. And I, I can say that I had not... Potentially, you know, overall I had good employees, but I had some pretty bad ones too. But in this case, I inherited a lot of the staff. And I have to tell you, they are retired, most of them retired guys and women who had uh, great careers before this. They run Wall Street or they ran, you know, the post office and or they were in software development. And their entire goal is just to get out of the house and uh, get away from their wives, I think. We always joke about that. And we're such a family that 
you know, it, it's just um, a, a wonderful experience. I don't have to worry about anything. These guys are there at 4 o'clock in the morning. They're the last ones to leave. Everyone shows up every day, and it's because we truly are a family. So that's why I'm afforded the opportunity to be here from January 1st to March 30th. So I'm the luckiest person on earth. That's awesome. And and you do need to recharge, otherwise you might blow up, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know, I'm down here working on our app still, and I'm, I edit our videos every day, and we put live shows on every day. So it's kind of a semi-vacation, but yet I'm laying by a pool talking to you right now in the sun. What a breath. That's <laughs> <laughs> so. In- incredible. It's- um, Thank you. Yeah, I'm, it doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better, Cindy. We must be doing something wrong. Why aren't we laying by a pool <laughs> and uh, and uh, doing this show? Um, no, that's incredible. So you're also the owner and director of instruction for the uh, uh, the Golf Channel Academy with Kelly Brook. What do you do, um, if anything, to try and mix things up a bit? So when you're doing that, uh, in other words, when you're spinning that particular plate, forget all the other stuff. What do you try to do to mix it up? Because obviously you've got your you're involved in so many different things. Um, do you just sort of have a, a pattern that has worked really well and you just sort of put it out there everywhere that you go, or do you try to do things differently? Because so you said you get bored very easily, and that's why I'm asking you this in the way I am. Um, what do you, you do know, differently when you're part of that? You know, here's the thing that, um, like, Sydney knows this because she's a golf instructor, but we have, you know, since I started teaching when I was 23, 22, it's always been seasonal to a certain extent. I mean, I know Cindy works all year round because she has the bubble up there. But um, for me, everything is a, a couple months season. So when I go back to New York, which I will in, a, in three weeks, I start in on the, on the instructional season. And I give 30 lessons a week which is 30 hours of lessons, which is a lot less than I used to give because I need to leave time for other things. But I'm fully 100% on board from April 1st to October 31st with the the instruction. Um, I have a a great uh, staff, Megan Youngman, Justin um, Koff, who run all of our junior programs and our women's programs. We have radio shows similar to you that are heard from Mm -hmm. Boston down to Philadelphia. And we get into such a groove and a routine, and it's seven days a week then. I mean, you know, I have to make money sometime because I'm sitting down here in Florida right now. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of very mechanical. So it's not really like we're, it's new and exciting. It's very mechanical and very structured when we do work. So, um, it, it, you know, by the time end of October comes around, we're all definitely ready to get back to Florida and get on the boat and, you know, bar hop on the boat and sit by the pool and surf and go to the beach and all kinds of things. But during the season, very structured, very exhausting and grueling. Well, you answered my next question was, what do you do when you're downtime? And obviously uh, you have quite a few activities that you like to do to, to relax. And, and it's important, I think, and Cindy would agree, I mean, you have to. When you're, when you're somebody that does what you both do and, and, you know, work and, and um, you know, really have a lot of compassion uh, and passion in, in the types of work that you do, you have to have some time to recharge your batteries and just have some fun because otherwise it just would become a little bit overwhelming. So what, 
as you look towards the future, and, and I, I want to ask you something here. You know, over the last couple of years, of course, we've gone through uh, this pandemic, and um, hopefully we're on the well on the other side of it. Um, but one of the interesting things that happened, Kelly, was that there was a big influx of people not only coming back to the game, but new people coming to the game. What is your vision for the future of golf with this new influx of people uh, coming to the game that maybe have never played before? What do you see happening? What would you like to see happen? Well, last year, I think 14 million people went to a Top Golf or a Drive Shack or some sort of entertainment golf range. That's 14 million people. It's it's a huge amount of people, which is partially why Cindy and I created this this app called Birdie Spot because it's for the modern golfer. The modern golfer doesn't necessarily want to come and take a $175 lesson from Cindy or I. You know, they might want to. They're younger. They're millennial. They do things their own way. So, again, I, and I keep going back to Birdie Spot, and this is not an advertisement, but you asked me direct. Modern golfer mm-hmm. is learning in a whole different way. So if you come to our site, we have a couple of courses on there. Eight Days to Golf is one of them. We have 195 videos with homework assignments and troubleshooting videos, and you can actually teach yourself from the comfort of your own home, in your own time, uh, accessibly, uh, for money you can teach yourself how to how to play golf from what is a golf course all the way through to how to hit a bunker shot so i think that is the future of golf that it's it's different mm-hmm. you know we're partnering um uh, birdie spot is actually working with a company called golf live golf live is the golf uh instruction where you the golf instructors actually sit online our instructors do uh, when they want to, when they choose, I could right now toggle on and, and be ready to give a golf lesson. And, and we have golfers who are literally on a golf range uh, shanking the ball, and they, t- they go on their app, and there's a golf professional sitting there like Uber waiting to help you. And you can talk to them live. You can review your swing live, not uh, not like skill some of these other where you, you send in the video and two days later you get a response. We actually see your, your swing live. We talk to you live about it. We mark it up live, and it's an instant Uber-type lesson. So this is the future of golf. It's all app-driven. It's all convenient. It's all inexpensive. It's all accessible, and it's 24-7. It's not your grandfather's golf game anymore. Yeah, and, and that really raises an interesting point, too, because I've, I've talked to over the last um, several years, actually, but particularly over the last couple of years, um, with a lot of millennial golfers particularly, and, you know, what it is that, that attracts them. And you're exactly right. They're not interested um, in the typical country club experience, and not even really the resort experience as much. It's all about entertainment for them. They want to go out and they sort of want to have fun yeah. in that, but they... They, they don't want it, like you said, it's not their grandfather's game anymore. Um, what do you see happening with the courses in that particular? I mean, you've talked about how they're going to interact online through apps and, and other platforms and so forth. But as far as their actual physical golf experience, yes, they're going to go to Top Golf and have some fun there. But do you see a new breed of golf course arising out of this? Maybe instead of you know, a a 7,000 yards uh, resort course coming up that maybe a, a more executive style course is popping up that people can get in and out within an hour and a half 
and maybe play a quick nine holes or even an hour? Do you see things like that well, maybe starting to happen, or what do you think? Absolutely. I mean, uh, several years ago, who was it, Jack Nicklaus or, or Arnold or someone said, you know, he would prefer to start to see 12, hole, 12 to 14 hole executive courses popping up, and I'm starting to see them. Um, I know that um, <laughs> Justin Timberlake is partnering with mm-hmm. uh, Howard Milstein at Golf.com, Golf Magazine, to create these um, entertainment courses where there's short form courses, there's music going, lights potentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, in 2003, I owned a par three course on the ocean in, in Brooklyn, literally on the ocean. And the first thing I did was put stadium light in, lighting in so we could be open until midnight. We had DJs. Um, these things are happening. I mean, uh, even uh, there's a par three course here in Palm Beach. You can't get on the course. It's because it's a two and a half hour round. And mm-hmm. it, and it's booked three weeks in advance. Um, it, the the industry is definitely changing. I, you know, it, I, here in in Palm Beach County, I, I thought of joining a, a country club a couple of years last year, I think, or two years ago before COVID. And you could you could get into a club for twenty grand. Now you can't get into any club here for less than seventy five thousand. And there's mm-hmm. a, a three week a three year waiting list. But the country clubbers now are saying, I'm not playing 18 holes. I can't. There's no time. So they're doing a lot of nine and dine. Um, it, right. It's just a whole different game. Yeah, I, I think that you're going to see a big shift. Um, so just one more question, and then, Cindy, I'm going to bounce it back to you for the last uh, few minutes. Um, so what do you see happening then, if, if that's the case, if that's sort of the direction for the next generation, because, um, and I don't know how much you follow the stats, but just to give you an idea, um, of the um, baby boomer generation, there's roughly about 70 million of us uh, here in the United States. There's now 72 million um, of the millennial golfers, uh, uh, millennial, sorry, overall, and of that, there's about 6.5 million of them golf. So that, that is starting to grow um, what do you see happening to the traditional golf, though? I mean, obviously, it's, it's still around. It's going to be there. But do you see that um, changing as well in order to try and, you know, capitalize on, on some of the changes you just made? you see them changing their mo- business model to say, hey, we need to, you know, we need to do something here to attract that generation coming in or we're going to be out of business in 10 years? Absolutely. I mean, technology is the key. So um, here, I think it was Boca West golf course recently installed in-range software on their outdoor driving range so that people could see their their matrix, their stats on spin rates and everything else. Um, uh, Every uh, top tracer is out there doing going to um, traditional courses and outfitting driving ranges for them. It's all about technology now. People don't want to just go and hit golf balls. It has to be technology Mm -hmm. driven for them. So, you know, I don't think that traditional golf is going away. I just think that there's going to be a lot of technology added to it to make it a little more exciting. Yeah, and it's interesting, just one quick point uh, that you mentioned, Top Tracer. I interviewed the uh, uh, the present CEO of Top Tracer about two years ago, and he said that they were planning over the next couple of years to bring that technology to about 4,500 uh, ranges here in the United States alone. Uh, that's not even including Europe and, and obviously up in Canada. So they're definitely, they've recognized that as well, and they're taking full advantage of that. Um, Cindy, go ahead. Discussion going, the, there's two domes in Buffalo, 
and one of them has top tracer technology and they have leagues like all winter long. And it's really yep. difficult if you're a normal golfer who just wants to go hit balls, you almost have to reserve a spot because everyone's having yeah. fun playing in leagues because it's snowing outside and there's nothing else to do. I mean, Golf Zone, to your point, Golf Zone, who um, is going to be supplying, because we're redoing our range, putting in a fitness component to it, an indoor range uh, with Golf Zone, most likely. And because um, uh, Top Trace is entertaining it. Uh, you know, I'm entertaining a lot of companies. But Golf Zone just partnered with Troon to create all of these uh, uh, bars, basically, you know, simulator bars all over the country. I know that they're putting three in Long Island alone. So, you know, it's great because people are going to Top Golf, people are going to go to these bars, and then they're going to have an interest to go to the course eventually. And, you know, Cindy and I are going to get better, are going to make more money for it. So I appreciate the Top Golf, the Top Tracers, the <laughs> Golf Zones of the world. Because it's just bringing more people in to have more fun. Exactly. Exactly. Todd? Hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because when you look at, um, you know, what the the millennial golfers particularly, and of course then you've got the Gen Z following after them, um, they're looking for that golf plus experience. Um, they're looking for more. They want to have their music. They want to – and even the fashion, you know, it's interesting – um, and this is not to be critical because I'm in that camp as well. I'm, you know, the late 50s. But um, so, you know, I, I don't dress like my grandfather for sure. But, I mean, you know, I have a different style. And when you hear them talk about golf fashion, it's like, oi, um, we got to, you know, we got to step up and do something here because we don't want to dress like the typical golf fashion that we, they see. They want to, I mean, now you're seeing courses, uh, certainly in certain areas, uh, allowing flip flops uh, in the golf. Course. I mean, when did you when when would you ever think that you'd see women wearing um, spandex? Basically, is what I call it. In the old days, yep. we called that spandex, right? To the golf course, with right? No, no pockets, even. I'm like, where do you put your tees? It's just a whole different right. world. I mean, remember when we were growing up? Your your shorts had to be within mm-hmm. two inches of your knee. Now your shorts have to be right. two inches from your crotch. It's a whole different right. world. And, <laughs> and you know, even at Best Page. <laughs> <laughs> um, even at Best Page, we're bringing in some urban wear. There's a great women's group called the Calliope, I think it is. I don't know how to say it. And we're bringing that into the pro shop. And they have T-shirts and they've got leather golf skirts. And it's like crazy stuff that I never imagined I'd ever see. But people are buying it. It's crazy. Hey, did the yeah, I, I, I... Uh, The hoodies did sell. They're selling pretty well, as a matter of fact. And I'm, well, I'm thanking you Justin. You need to reorder. Exactly. Justin Thomas is now wearing hoodies, right? So now everyone thinks it's okay mm-hmm. to wear hoodies. I mean, you never wore a hoodie on a golf course. I'm 53, no. so I'm a little traditionalist still. Yeah, my, I am as well. And, you know, to be honest, the, the truth of the matter is I find it hard for myself. I mean, I mean, men's fashion, let's be honest, sucks anyways compared to the ladies. I mean, there's just you guys just have so many options. I mean, you see that every year going down to the PGA merchandising show, you know, there's like 50 booths that have all these, you know, young designers coming up and that for women. And then you got, you know, I don't want to say it, but, you know, you've got loudmouth over here and you've got this over here. And it's just like, I mean, I don't want to wear that. But, 
Um, and there's nothing wrong with it. Everybody has their own style. But the, the men's fashion has been very, very traditional as well. Um, and you're seeing particularly young women now coming out, and they want to dress. Um, they want to look good. It's not about, you know, yep. obviously comfort is important to a certain degree. Um, but at the same time, they're there to look good. They want to be fashionable. They've got the, you know, the makeup on. They've got, you know, the hair done a certain way. And, you know, they're sporting it. And, you know, so you're starting to see it. But don't you the men, too. The men are the same exact way. I mean, the men are wearing, you know, I'm sponsored by Jay Lindbergh. I love their clothes, and I'm not exactly rail thin. Um, And everyone thinks Jay Lindbergh, you have to be rail thin to wear that stuff because it's such, you know, the, the shirts are a little tighter. They're they're not tight. They're just fit to your body. And the men's pants are very tight, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guys are coming out, and they look dapper. I mean, they look millennial. They yeah. look urban, but they look dapper, you know. And, and remember, when you and I and Cindy were growing up, guys mm-hmm. were on the golf course traditionally cigar-smoking, little beer belly yeah. from their, their gin and tonic uh, kind of guys. Uh, and now it's like, thanks to Tiger and the younger generation, everybody yeah. that I see on the golf course is super fit, super lean, and the guys are appreciating the, the clothing also. We're just too old to wear it, that's all. Yeah, I, I, it takes me two hours to slip in a pair of skinny jeans. So, I, you know, I just, <laughs> um, you know, and, and I was always thin growing up, So, and I still am. I mean, I'm not, you know, certainly not big in any way, but... Um, but yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, I, I don't want to discount the men's fashions, but uh, again, I think what it is is it's just a, a, an ever-changing world. Technology has been a huge driver, um, and you know we're seeing a lot of particularly young women uh, getting into this game, which is really exciting. Not just at the professional level, as we talked about earlier with our earlier guest Frida, who plays on the Epson Tour, uh, and LPJ sort of splits her time there. Um, but you're seeing a lot of young women that have, would have never thought of coming to the golf course now saying, say, hmm, this looks like it might be kind of fun. But it, again, it's not the traditional game so much they're intrigued by. They're looking at the entertainment value and some of the, just another option. It's kind of like, and I hate to use that comparison, but it's kind of like a glorified bowling alley. When we were growing up, that's where you went when you were young. You had nothing else to yeah. do. You went to the bowling alley and you met other kids your age and you partied and mingled and whatever. Well, that's what top golf and that is, is just a different version of that type of same uh, platform. And I think they're attracted to it, the yep. music and, you know, uh, everybody their age is, is hanging out there. And, and uh, I just think it's, uh, it's very interesting. It's going to be interesting to see over the next five to ten years some of the other changes that are going to happen. I think with AI technology and that coming in, um, you know, it's going to even, even golf instruction is, is going to even further change. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, Cindy, any final thoughts yep. or, or comments that you have? No, I just thank you for joining us. Oh, it was my pleasure. This went so fast. I mean, I love when these just, mm-hmm. the, the conversations just roll. You guys are the best. Good luck with the show. It's awesome. And thank, thank you so you much for it. having me. Well, thank have you for making today. it fun and, yeah, enjoy the beat. Or sorry, enjoy the pool. I'm sorry, enjoy the pool. <laughs> All right, I will. Thank you. All right, thank bye-bye. you, Kelly. All right, bye-bye. bye bye. Bye. Um, definitely in your in your league, that's for sure, Cindy. Uh, I couldn't agree more. She definitely got a lot uh, a lot going on, and and yeah, you guys are spinning some great uh, plates together, and and. Um, uh, I think it's just a phenomenal, and and she's exactly right about where things are moving now. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, 
uh, it's just spot on. Uh, I think with this technology coming out, it's it's um, it's very very exciting, but it's it's also challenging to to be on the right side of it because you know otherwise you're you're getting left behind. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next several years. But on that note, we got to end things. Uh, we got to go, but we want to thank everybody for joining us. And again, sp- thank you to both of our special guests. Uh, uh, Frida Schinholt and uh, Kelly Brook for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf. On behalf of Cindy Miller, I'm Ted Odorico, and thanks for joining us this morning. We'll see you next week here on the Women of Golf Show. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, Ted. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf Show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash women of golf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.